Well, I invite you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans 15. Just a heads up, the first service, I didn't even come close to making it all the way through uh, my notes. So you won't even get all the answers, the, the fill-in-the-blank answers this morning. I hope that doesn't bother you. Uh, we'll see. We'll see uh, going forward what, what we can do about that. Uh, <laughs> so this morning, uh, Romans 15, uh, we're looking at verses 15 through 21. Romans 15, beginning in verse 15. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. The Apostle Paul writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he says in verse 15, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to boast of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is God's word. You can be seated. So last week, Chris, in the sermon, talked about church planting. He started out talking about uh, where we find in Scripture this charge for church planting, the basis for it, the call to go do it. It's found in what we know as the Great Commission. The church there is called to make disciples of Jesus Christ, Go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them. See, the church baptizes people into the church. That's how a person starts as a disciple, starts the discipleship process. It starts with baptism. That's how someone enters the church. It's through baptism. So the church baptizes people into the church, and then the church proceeds to fully train them as learners and followers of Jesus Christ. That is, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. And that includes, of course, that work of making disciples. We're training disciples to make more disciples. And so then built into this great commission is the idea that churches reproduce themselves. Churches are planted by churches. And by that means, we cover the globe making disciples of all the nations. And so, every church should be a church-planting church. Every church should be engaged in the work of church planting. Every Christian should love church planting and be eager to play his part. What is his part? It's one of two parts. Sometimes people do both, I guess. But one of two parts, there are the Remember we talked about it last week? Chris talked about it. There are the senders, and then there are the goers. Senders and the goers. Church, we've been blessed. We've been blessed with the great privilege of being able to plant a church in North Knoxville. And I hope that this text this morning, Romans 15, 
is I hope that it's used by the Lord to propel us forward in this work for the glory of Jesus Christ. In the early 1800s, Adoniram Judson and his wife went to Burma. He went out, never fully able to know the degree of suffering they would experience as they served the Lord in that place. But he stuck it out. The Lord used him. Less than two weeks before he died, he received some news that moved him deeply. During his time taking the gospel to the Burmese, he had developed a great burden for the Jewish people. He tried to go to them, but he wasn't able. But he did write some things specifically to them. And then two weeks before his death, he received news that some of the things that he had written had been influential among some Jewish people living in the northeastern province of Turkey. And they had come to know Christ. And they had written requesting that someone would come and teach them. And when Judson heard this, he wept. He was moved to tears. He, he must have felt something like the Apostle Paul describes in verse 17 of our text. Look at Romans 15, verse 17, where Paul says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Now, this statement is pivotal in our passage. The word then uh, is translated in some translations as therefore is important. He's saying, therefore, based on what I've just said, in Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud. And so verses 15 and 16, the verses before this one, are important because they tell us what he's boasting about and why he's boasting. And then look at verse 18. Verse 18, it starts with the word for. So he proceeds then to talk about his boasting. I have reason to boast for, and now he's going to explain why he has reason to boast. What is Paul boasting in? He says, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Or I have reason to boast of my work for God. Other translations have of things pertaining to God. The word that the Paul uses under the inspiration of the Spirit is a word that just refers back to everything he's just said. Okay, so... All of this that I've just said is my reason for, for boasting. What has he just said? Well, there are things pertaining to God. That's true, but they're more specifically, it's a description of his work. His work in serving the Lord. His, his great commission work. It's because of my great commission work that I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus. That word proud or the word boast may evoke the image of a self-exalting, proud, blabbering that's all about me, me, me. I'm so great. I did this. I did that. And we loathe that when we hear it, don't we? We find self-congratulating, self-focused boasting to be nauseating. And rightfully so because it makes puny, sinful creatures the object of lofty praise and the Apostle Paul already in this letter has said all this self-focused boasting has to be excluded because we know the gospel. We know the truth about ourselves. He's talked in chapter 1 about how all of us, all of mankind, by nature we are suppressors of the truth. God reveals truth to us in creation, his eternal power and divine nature. And what do we do with that? 
we take that truth and we hold it down. We suppress it. We despise it. Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 3, quoting from the Old Testament, he says, no one does good, not even one. So there's no grounds for boasting in self and and who we are or what we can do in our strength. Paul says here, and it's important, he says here in verse 17, he says, in Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud. In Christ Jesus. So what's he saying? He's saying, I... I am not so bold as to collect trophies for my own accomplishments. Yes, I'm working, but Christ is the one accomplishing. He's the one doing it. So I can boast in my work in Christ Jesus. He's boasting in the grace of God and what Christ accomplishes through him and what the Holy Spirit does through his efforts. But it is his work. It is his work. He is doing work that he can be proud of in Christ Jesus. There's another key statement in our text. It's found in verse 20. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. That word thus is important. And thus, or in the way I just described, I make it my ambition to proclaim the gospel. And so when we come across that word thus, it has us taking, going back to take another look all the way up to verse 15. The work of God he has been describing gives him ample reason to boast and so he is ambitious to do it. That word ambition uh, means to strive eagerly. If we take that word and break it into its parts, it means to love honor. To love honor. You love the honor of doing a certain thing. And when that's the case, you throw yourself into it. You're motivated to do it. You do it eagerly. You strive eagerly to do it. Okay? Now, we can, we can understand how he would use the terminology in both places. I have reason to boast because it's significant. It's awesome. It's important. And also, I'm ambitious to do it because I love what's significant, what's important, what's awesome, right? So the two ideas fit together. Why is he talking about all this? Uh, Many people have referred to the letter of Romans as a missionary support letter. Uh, He's a missionary. He's a frontier pioneer missionary, and he's talking to the church at Rome to try and garner their support. He knows he needs help in this endeavor, and so he writes this letter. This comment here, this paragraph that we come to in chapter 15, comes in a very personal portion of the letter. In verses 8 through 13 of the same chapter, Paul spoke of Christ's mission. It's the ultimate purpose for all all missions. He says, Christ became a servant in verse 8. He came to the earth to die. Why? Why? What was the goal? What goal did Christ have in becoming a servant? Not merely to save people from hell. More specifically, verse 9, he says, in order that the nations, or the Gentiles, it's ethne, the nations might glorify God for his mercy. That's why Christ came. 
for the sake of his own glory. That others may, that sinners may taste his mercy and be turned into worshipers and worship him for his mercy. So in our paragraph now, Apostle Paul is talking about his participation in that mission. He is working together with Christ still to see all the nations glorifying God for his mercy. It's very personal. He's not just describing only the work that he does, but how he feels about it. He's proud of it. It's a matter of, it's a subject of boasting. He's ambitious for it. Why? Why tell us how he feels about it? Well, because it's not only important that we serve the Lord, but that we love serving the Lord because he's worthy of it. We aren't dragged into this. And so he loves it. And he doesn't want people just to give him money or to give him material things to help him. He wants them to be discipled. He wants them to be caught up in this mission and to really join him in heart and spirit with this. That's the kind of support he wants. It's not good enough that we serve the Lord. It's not good enough that we serve the Lord sacrificially. We must delight in it and glory in it and boast in it. Boasting, is, boasting in something is treasuring. It's enjoying. It's rejoicing. And it comes with the longing to tell, to speak about it. And it's also a statement of confidence in the Lord. Paul, Paul delights in his work for God. He sees it as valuable and worthwhile. And when he describes how he works, he looks back at it and walks away from it, you might say, with a, you've heard it before, with a holy swagger. Remember that terminology? I used it in, in, when I taught on Romans 5, 3 and 4. We have that kind of holy swagger, that joyful boasting in response to our Suffering, because the Lord is using it. He is blessing us in our suffering. He's doing good. And we have this confidence and this joy. And we want to boast in the Lord because of what he's doing. Well, Paul says it's the same thing with all of my work. All of my work. It's awesome. I get to do this. I'm involved in this great commission. It's by grace. It's what he's doing in me. And so all of his boasting is in Christ Jesus. He's empowered to please God. What is that work that's so valuable and awesome? And what makes it so honorable? And that's what our text tells us. He has a cherished desire to do his part to carry out the mission, that the nations might glorify God for his mercy. Brothers and sisters, this is why we exist as a church. It's why we want to plant a church in North Knoxville. It's why we want to build up this church. We want to be faithful senders and faithful goers. And as we seek to be faithful senders and faithful goers, may we glory in that in that work. May we boast about it. And may all of our boasting be in Christ Jesus. And may we be ambitious for it. 
May God make us ambitious senders and ambitious goers because we love his glory. C.T. Studd said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So this morning in our text, the Apostle Paul gives us five great commission ambitions that will lead you to boast in Christ Jesus. Five great commission ambitions that will lead you to boast in Christ Jesus. What is work for God that you can boast in? What is this this work that we are so ambitious to do? The first great commission ambition, number one, be ambitious to boldly proclaim the gospel. Be ambitious to boldly proclaim the gospel. We see this in the first part of verse 15. Look at verse 15. Paul says, But on some points I have written to you very boldly, by way of reminder. So he's saying, yes, I know that I have spoken boldly to you. What was the subject matter? Well, it was the gospel. He, he spoke to them by way of reminder. See, he knew, and he said it at times, you are full of goodness and knowledge. He says this in verse 14 of our chapter. Earlier in the book, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So they had received the gospel. They had embraced the gospel. These are gospel-believing people. And yet, in chapter 1, verse 15, he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. They needed a reminder. We need reminders. We need to be reminded over and over again of the most important truth in the world, the truth of the gospel. Because we're prone to forget. So he spoke to them the gospel by way of reminder. But at times he spoke very boldly. He says in chapter 2 to the Jews, you guys teach the law, but do you really live it? Chapter 3, he says to the Jews, you may think you are quite special because you are a Jew, but when you get in front of God's judgment seat, he's not going to be impartial toward you. Then to the Gentiles in chapter 11, he says, don't be arrogant. If God didn't spare the natural branches, he won't spare you either. So Paul says now towards the end of his letter, I've spoken boldly. No, I'm not apologizing for it. On the contrary, I rejoice in this. I rejoice in this. This is my boast. There is profound joy that I experience when I speak boldly as I have to you. And he would say, because when I speak boldly, I'm not speaking my own message. I'm not speaking my own thoughts, stuff that I've come up with. That would be arrogant. No, I'm speaking a message that has been given to me by my king. It's his message. It's his truth. And so I must speak boldly to honor him. And when I find myself speaking boldly, I find that it is exhilarating because I am speaking truth. I get to speak with authority, not my own authority, but Christ's authority. There is a boldness that we have as gospel-believing people, isn't there? And it, it's a joy. I have been given the truth. I've been given the truth. 
I don't have my own message. I have his message. I am commissioned by him. We all have to speak with boldness, don't we? In verse 14, he exhorts all of the church to admonish one another. Admonish one another? Well, that's pretty strong. That requires some boldness, doesn't it? That's what we all do with one another. This is what we do when we evangelize people. We speak boldly because God has said it, and we repeat to them what God has said, and we do it with boldness. But it's a holy boldness, a holy boldness. I am being bold to speak God's message. Paul says, what is better than that? Praise be to God. I am boldly telling his gospel. Well, that's the first great commission ambition that will lead you to boast in Christ Jesus. Be ambitious to boldly proclaim the gospel. Number two, he says, be ambitious to build up the church, being empowered by the undeserved favor of God. Be ambitious to build up the church, being empowered by the undeserved favor of God. Let's start back at verse 15, at the start of verse 15. On some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Here it is. Because of the grace given me by God. When he speaks there of the grace given him, he's speaking of his gifting and calling to be an apostle. He spoke of it earlier in this way, similar terms, chapter 1 and verse 5, as he's starting the letter to them, introducing himself. He says, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. So he's been writing the way he's been writing because he's called to do it, empowered to do it. And he's mindful of it, even when he comes to chapter 12, he makes another bold statement, and he's cognizant of this grace that's been given to him. Romans 12, verse 3, he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And so he speaks of the gift of apostleship, but he refers to it as the grace given to me by a minister. Why not come right out and say apostleship? Why does he do that? Why does he speak of it just as the grace given to him? Well, I think there's a couple reasons. One is he knows that grace is given to everybody in the church. All members of the body have his grace. And he, and he wants them to see their likeness to him. You do the same. You have this same grace Grace to function, to, to play the role that God wants you to play. So you go do this too. We are empowered by grace to be the church. But also, I think he refers to it as the grace given to me to be a minister because he saw it as unmerited favor. I'm saying what I'm saying to you. Because of the unmerited favor of God that is mine, that I enjoy. He was humbled. He's telling the gospel because he's the recipient of the undeserved favor of God. He knows as he's saying these things, as he's doing these things, that all of this is the fruit of Jesus' sacrificial, substitutionary death on his behalf. 
Jesus Christ went to the cross and purchased this for me. He gave me this ability, this privilege to speak his gospel, to speak boldly, to do all that I do in fulfilling the Great Commission. It's all because of unmerited favor. Who, who, am I? who am I to say these things? Who am I to play a useful role in others' lives? I am no one. I am nothing. Right? And Paul speaks this way at times, doesn't he? Like 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 and following, he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I have unmerited favor that is overflowing. Overflowing for me. Galatians chapter 1, he says similar things. Galatians 1 verse 14, God has set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace. He called me by his undeserved favor and was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among the Gentiles. So I say what I say, I do what I do because I am the recipient of undeserved favor from God. He has loved me even though I don't deserve it. His efforts are the fruit of grace, empowering him to disciple people. And all of us as Christians have grace that has been given to us. Grace that empowers us to serve the Lord. That's what spiritual gifts are. Empowerment by Christ's spirit. Empowerment to build up the church, to be useful to him. Paul talked about this earlier in Romans chapter 12 and verse 6. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And so all of us must build up the church. All of us are gifted to some degree to instruct one another, being full of goodness, having been filled with the knowledge of the gospel, as Paul says in verse, 13, uh, verse 14. Brothers and sisters, this is how churches are planted. Members of the body rejoice as recipients of undeserved favor. They rejoice. They respond as recipients of undeserved favor in Christ. And they each do their part relying on the power of that undeserved favor which supports them and strengthens them. How are you using your gift, your giftedness to build up the body? Are you squandering your gift or are you using your gifting to build up the church? If God has empowered you to build up the church, then you should do it. You should do it. And do it with all your might. Remember, you don't deserve such a privilege. You don't deserve God's favor. You were his enemy. You suppressed the truth about him. 
You were a rebel to his throne. That's you. You were deserving of his wrath because of your sin. And he has had mercy on you. He has pitied you. He has given you undeserved favor. So don't think little of his gifts to you. The undeserved favor that you receive from him. Get to work in his church. Serve in the church. This is how a church is planted. It's how a church is built and how a church is planted. We serve in the church because we're supported by his undeserved favor, empowered to do that. And there's so many opportunities when a church is planted. There's holes in ministry are left as people leave and go out, they're sent out. Are you serving somewhere? Talk with ministry leaders to find ministry roles that need to be filled and then fill them. Be eager to do this. This is work that you should boast in because you're thriving within the undeserved favor of God that supports you. Show hospitality to other people. That's part of being a sending church. You have to be a strong church to be a sending church. So be busy showing hospitality to one another and to other people that are coming in. Be busy showing hospitality. When they come in, learn about their burdens and bear their burdens with them. You have the undeserved favor of God that supports and empowers you to bear other people's burdens and not just think about yourself. You can bear their burdens and you can love them and you can speak bold truth to them. You can pray for them. Glory in this, church. Be ambitious to do this work. This is work that you can boast about in Christ Jesus. Paul's work for God was an enjoyment of God's unmerited favor. Let your work for God be the enjoyment of God's unmerited favor as he empowers you to fulfill your purpose. And so that's number two. Be ambitious to build up the church, being empowered by the undeserved favor of God. And now number three, the third great commission, ambition, that will lead you to boast in Christ Jesus. Number three, build ambitious, be ambitious to exercise your priestly privilege of offering up souls to God as an acceptable sacrifice. Be ambitious to exercise your priestly privilege of offering up souls to God as an acceptable sacrifice. Look at verse 16. Speaking of God's, having God's undeserved favor, his grace empowering him, he says it empowers him, verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. God gave him grace, undeserved favor, to be a minister. That Greek word translated as minister refers here to him being a priest, he isn't saying that he is a priest. He's speaking figuratively. Scripture nowhere speaks of a legitimate role of a priest by profession such as those in Roman Catholicism. No, Paul sees his work 
like that of a priest who makes an offering to the Lord in the temple. The job of an Old Testament worshiper was to bring two different kinds of sacrifices or offerings to God. First, there were the sin offerings, and a person brought those asking for forgiveness for their sin, asking God to forgive their sin on the basis of a substitute, a lamb slain for their sin. And of course, they did this, holding on to that promise from Genesis 3.15, the promise of the Messiah, of a Savior, the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, their hope, their faith was in the Messiah. So there's a sin offering. Then second, there's the burnt or thanksgiving offerings. And these were offerings that were made out of gratitude, giving service and honor to God. The priest's job was to offer these sacrifices on behalf of individuals and on behalf of the people as a whole. Well, Christ has come. Christians understand that Christ has made the final and complete sacrifice for sin. He was slain as the substitute, our substitute. And so there are no more sin offerings. Jesus is our great high priest who has made a once and for all atonement for our sin. And Paul here speaks of his priestly work and he speaks of giving an offering. He has in mind not a sin offering, but an offering of thanksgiving. Paul's whole life, all of his work, all of his great commission work is about making an offering to God. It's all about worship. It's all about thanksgiving to God. Your whole life is all about worship. All of your work must be about giving thanks to God because you're redeemed by grace. What is Paul's offering? What's his sacrifice? It's people. People. Gentiles. He does the priestly work of bringing people to God as an offering. Say, I don't know about that. (laughs) Wait a minute. Paul is sacrificing people? Well, you remember, Paul talked about this idea earlier in the book in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable worship. In Paul's gospel-telling work to unbelievers and to believers, he was preparing an offering for God. What is that offering? A holy and an obedient people, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, he says. Set apart. Unto God, from the world, from sin, set apart unto God, he is offering this people holy and obedient unto God. He sees evangelism and discipleship as ways of giving God praise and thanks. And as he prepares people to be an offering of thanksgivings, uh, thanksgiving. And this is his boast. Wow, I get to bring an offering. I get to be used by the Holy Spirit to give an acceptable sacrifice. And this is what we do in the church, life in the church, encouraging one another, building up one another, helping one another to walk in a a holy way unto the Lord. 
This is what's involved in church planting, of course, telling the gospel, discipling them, that we may present to God a sacrifice. This is work you can be proud of in Christ Jesus. And you can say, I'm doing work of real substance. This is my glory. This is my treasure as a recipient of undeserved favor. I get to offer up an acceptable sacrifice to him. That's number three. Be ambitious to exercise your priestly privilege of offering up souls to God as an acceptable sacrifice. That makes me excited about planting a church. Finding people, telling them the gospel. Seeing them baptized, brought into the church, discipled, trained up. Another disciple maker. All for an offering to God. He's worthy. How exciting that we get to do that. Number four, be ambitious to speak and act as Christ's instrument to lead people to the obedience of faith in him. Be ambitious to speak and act as Christ's instrument to lead people to the obedience of faith in him. Verse 18, after talking about how he has reason to boast, in Christ Jesus, verse 18, he says, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. He says, I will not venture to speak about anything other than And when he says, I will not venture to speak, that could be translated, I will not be so bold as to speak. It's the same root word as very boldly, those two words used in verse 15. I have written boldly to you in speaking the gospel, and I glory in that work, but I will not be so bold to speak about just anything I boast only in what Christ has accomplished through me, he says. Paul knew he was only properly boasting when it was in what Christ did through him. His boasting is in the identity of the true worker, Jesus Christ. So he boasts in what Christ accomplishes through him. Paul then proceeds to speak of the purpose of Christ's working, the means of Christ's working, and the fruit of Christ's working. There's a purpose for his working, and that's to make the nations obedient, to make them obedient. Right? He's not going to boast about anything except what Christ has accomplished, what Christ is doing, what Christ is accomplishing through me, What's the purpose of his accomplishing, all of his accomplishments? is to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. No, Paul wasn't trying to get people to obey the law in order to be saved. That's not what it's talking about when he says, Christ is accomplishing this through me, the obedience of the people. Uh, No, he wasn't going around trying to take the law of God and to get uh, society to conform to that law apart from regeneration, apart from the gospel, Um, and the transformation of the heart. No, he's not trying to transform all the nations apart from the gospel by means only of the law. No, what is he saying? He was trying to get people to obey the gospel. 
He calls it the obedience of faith. When he starts this letter and when he ends this letter, he uses that terminology in both places. He's been given the gift that he has, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, for, or, toward the obedience of faith, for the sake of his name among all the nations. That's what he longs to see in people, the obedience of faith. And then at the end of the letter, Romans 16, 26, again he talks about the obedience of faith. That's the goal. Here, in a shorter form, refers to it as obedience. True faith in Christ is an obedient faith. There is no such thing as saving faith that does not yield to the lordship of Jesus Christ and walk the walk of increasing obedience. Everyone who has true saving faith is a, a keeper of God's commandments. True faith in Christ is a trusting submission. Trusting submission. May this be our goal in our evangelism and in our discipleship. Jesus is the Savior King. And he deserves our trusting submission. Paul now talks about the means of Christ's working. What's the means by which Christ accomplishes the obedience in all the nations? It's by word and deed. By Paul's word and deed. By my word and deed. By your word and deed. Christ does it by word and deed. Paul certainly did it by word. We have 13 of his letters written to churches or church leaders contained in Scripture. Other letters that he wrote aren't included in the New Testament. He was writing. He was also, of course, out there talking, speaking. There we have all of his teachings, his disputations with all those that opposed the gospel. And he also did it by his deeds. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 28 talks about his deeds, his, all of his labors, his imprisonments, his beatings. Couldn't even count them. He goes on and on talking about all the sufferings that he's experienced. And then he says, besides all that, there was the daily concern for all the churches. But it's not Paul bragging about his words or his labor. All those things were done in Christ. He has the unmerited, undeserved favor of God supporting in him, but supporting him. He has the Holy Spirit of God working in him. He has Christ accomplishing things through him. Church, this is why we do hard things. We do hard things as the people of God, don't we? We do hard things not just for the sake of doing hard things. We do hard things in the accomplishment of the Great Commission. It requires sacrifice and work to build up the church, to be a good sending church. It requires sacrifice and work to plant a church and to plant more churches and more churches. This is why we do hard things, including the sacrifices that come with church planting. This is why some would make the massive sacrifices involved in selling their house and moving to be a part of a church plant in North Knoxville. It's crazy. It's radical. This is why they would do it. It's why some would quit their job and look for another one to see a church planted. And these are normal sacrifices involved in church planting. 
And we can do these kinds of things because we are supported and empowered by the undeserved favor of God. Yes, a church can be planted with just a few people. It's been done. Maybe you've heard that it's been done. Five people go out and they plant a church. But of course, many church plants fail probably because of that way of going about it. How much better to have 50 people that are sent out? How much better for the sake of the stability of that church, for the success of that church plant, if there were 75 people or more? I'm, I'm praying for more families for the sake of the church plant, for the success of it. And why do I want it to be successful? I want more people to magnify Jesus Christ for his mercy. That's what it's about. It's not about us building our own little kingdom. It's about the glory of Jesus Christ. It's about the salvation of lost people who will perish in their sins unless they hear the gospel. And unless they hear the gospel proclaimed boldly, God's message boldly proclaimed. His truth, not a watered-down version of it. It's a lot of work to plant a church. It's a lot of work to be in a church plant. But I'll tell you, it shouldn't be more work than being an ascending church. We all have the same great commission. We all have the same Lord. We all have the same work. We're all ambitious for the same. Right? There might be some difference though, right? You get into a church plant and you might feel a little bit more accountability to be working. And in a larger church, you might be able to live in the shadows a bit more. But I think that's the difference. And it ought to be that it's not just those that are going with a church plant that go out to work and glory in their work and they're ambitious for it. But the sending church does the same. Yes, there is a lot of work involved in planning a church. But it's not just the goers that do the work. It's the senders. And we have a great blessing of being only 30 minutes away from the church plant. And so there's so much a strong church here can do to carry that load that's involved. They can make trips. They can come. They can carry things. They can help set up things. They can, they can do a lot. Senders, you can do hard things. You can do hard things because you're supported and empowered by the undeserved favor of God. You can do hard work because Christ works in you and through you. And brothers and sisters, this should be ordinary Christian living. As one's redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ as children of the living God, recipients of mercy, eternally loved, eternally blessed in Christ. May God make us faithful. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the great privilege that we have to know you. Thank you for your undeserved favor which we have come to know, which is overflowing for us. 
We thank you that we have the great privilege of being a part of your church and being your instruments. And Lord, we do long to see all the nations worshiping you, having tasted your mercy, shouting with joy to you, praise to you for your mercy. This is what we long to see. And so we want to be faithful where we're at. And so we want to be faithful as we plant Gospel Hope Church in North Knoxville. Strengthen your people. May Jesus Christ be magnified. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen.